Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. A little secret ingredient that we do uh, every day, it's right under our noses, um, but if you don't think about it the right way, you don't, you don't get the power uh, from it, and it's actually harder to hear your guide. In Psalm 127, verses 1 through 2, on your notes on the screen, it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early, rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. I want to talk about sleep today. Yeah, can I get a better amen, somebody? (laughs) I want to talk about sleep and why we should view sleep as a spiritual discipline. Now, when I say spiritual discipline, uh, different things probably come to your mind, uh, like Bible reading and prayer, uh, fasting, giving, going to church like you are today. But the reason, so, so often what people say is what happens is they say they don't do those things because they think they don't have enough time. But the real reason we don't pray, the reason we don't read the Bible, is not that we don't have enough time, it's that when we have the time, we don't have enough energy. We have the time, but we don't have enough energy. Why? Because these things are hard. And I'm not going to be the pastor that stands up here and pretends that they're easy. The Bible is challenging material to read. Okay, praying is difficult. Fulfilling God's purposes for your life. It's a challenge. It's hard. And if you're not well rested, if you're too tired, you can't even do it. Any serious conversation, you can't have a serious conversation when you're exhausted. Okay, challenging material is hard to read when you're tired. How much even more so for the most challenging material, for the most serious conversation? This is why 21 days of prayer and fasting, like you can't do it all year. That, that intensity, it has to happen in intervals where it, you're, you, you turn up the heat and you have seasons. I mean, some of you, you've been waking up so incredibly early, driving miles and miles and miles to come to a prayer service at 6 a.m. And you've been fasting on top of that. And it's powerful. Like part of you says, I wish I could kind of keep that up all year, but you can't do it all the time. At the top of your notes, here's what I'm saying. You simply cannot live a spiritually rich life on a sleep deficit. You simply cannot live a spiritually rich life on a sleep deficit deficit. Now there are all sorts of lives you can live on a sleep deficit. You can live a successful career life on a sleep deficit. You can live a life of achievement. You can get a lot done on a sleep deficit. You, there's lots of activities you can do on a sleep deficit. You could check email. You can mark stuff off your to-do list. Uh, you could watch TV on a sleep deficit. You get a lot done when you're tired. Lots of lives that you can live. Lots of things you can do on a sleep deficit. Connecting with God is not one of them. There's this heartbreaking account in the, in the Gospels 
where the night before Jesus goes to the cross, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And he brings his three closest disciples with him, Peter, James, and John, to, to stand guard, to watch over him, to pray. And he comes, keeps coming back to them, and they've fallen asleep. And, and he basically says, this is the biggest night of my life, and you can't even stay awake for it? And, and how often does that happen to us, that God wants us to follow him, God wants us to meet with him, and we can't stay awake? That there's a chance to make real spiritual progress, but we're too tired, so we do a lower activity. We're too tired, so we do a lesser activity. Happens to me plenty of times. So we've got, we've got to figure out sleep. Let's go to this verse again. I want to point out a few things to you. Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. It's in vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. The psalmist uses the word vain three times. Why is the lifestyle of staying up late and getting up early and getting as little sleep as you possibly can, why is that lifestyle vain according to the psalmist? Now, I need you to take this message the right way today because I understand we have things in our lives and in this broken world that fight against sleep. Like kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like jobs. Like school. Uh, health problems. Physical pain. I mean, for some of us, there's physical pain keeping us up at night. And the psalmist here, in this case Solomon, he's talking about a mindset that says, I'm going to disregard sleep. Uh, that I'm, I'm not going to value it. I'm not going to recognize it as a gift from God. I'm going to try and get by on as little sleep as possible. I'm going figure to up, figure up how much little sleep I can live off of, and I'm going to go for that. Why is trying to sleep as little as possible vain? Three reasons according to the psalmist. Number one, it's vain because all the big stuff is out of your control. God is in control of all the big stuff. And that's what Solomon means when he says, unless the Lord builds the house, it's in vain. That you can work as hard as you want to work, but at the end of the day, if God doesn't want the house to stand, it will not stand. If God doesn't want the house there, it won't be there. If God wants it there, it'll be there. This is why Jesus, he, he just flat out says, do not worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about it. Because it's vanity to think that you have control over it. It's vanity to, word to think that worrying is going to do something about it. The mindset, if you're taking notes, of the person who tries to get as little sleep as possible is this. It all depends on me. It all depends on me. It's all up to me. If I don't keep working harder every day, every week, I'm going to fall behind and I'm not going to have enough. But all the big stuff is out of your control anyway. If God doesn't want it there, it won't be there. If God wants it there, it will be there. So the first reason it's vain and pointless to sleep as little as possible is uh, I don't have as much control as I think I do. Number two is that even if you are successful, you'll be eating the bread of anxious toil. What in the world does that mean? Well, in this scenario, let's say, you know, you, 
you work as hard as you do and then the big stuff happens that are, that's out of your control, it happens anyway. And so if you're successful, like you sleep a few hours each night, it goes perfectly, well how is that vain? Well, verse two in the ESV says, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. The bread of anxious toil does not taste very good. This is the problem with our culture today, is that we accomplish everything we set out to accomplish. We marry who we wanna marry, we move to the neighborhood we wanna live in, or we build the house that we always wanted to have, we get the job that fulfills all of our passions and our makeup and what we're passionate about, or we start this business, we do this thing, and it fulfills all of our passions, but yet somehow it doesn't feel the way we thought it would feel. It doesn't satisfy the way we thought it should satisfy. And here's why, because it doesn't matter if you reach a goal if you're too anxious and tired to enjoy it. In in Ecclesiastes chapter two, Solomon also says that there's nothing better than for man to enjoy his toil, to enjoy his work. But if you have this attitude of it all depends on me, who cares if you reach your goals because it's just the bread of anxious toil you'll be eating. And we've experienced this, we know this, we've seen people even who, man, they, 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 they get all the dreams to come true, but they're so nervous and they're so overworked that they don't get to enjoy the house. They don't get to enjoy the family. They don't get to enjoy their life. So that's the second reason why trying to sleep as little as possible is vain, is that even if it works, even if it's successful, so what? You're not satisfied. The third reason is it's massively counterproductive because you are just constantly shooting yourself in the foot. Because productivity is not the number of things you get done, it's the number of things you get done minus all the mistakes you make along the way. So my six trips to Lowe's to complete a project, I wouldn't call that productive because all the mistakes I make along the way. So more simply put, productivity is not the number of things you get done, productivity is doing the right things. Knowing what to say no to, having a right perspective, instead of being reactive and responding to just every little thing in life, the ability to step back and say, I'm gonna decide what's important in my life. I'm gonna decide what my values are going to be. I'm gonna decide the the godly principles that I'm going to live off of. I'm going to decide to put God first and you decide what the right things are and it takes rest to know what those are and decide what those are. Kids show us this. I love my kids so much, Landry, and he's just so fun and so sweet, but when he doesn't get enough sleep, he is an absolute monster. (laughs) And sometimes, like, I'll just stop and look at him, and I think, you're going to grow up to be a menace to society, and there's nothing I can do (laughs) to stop this. And then we focus on getting him a little bit more sleep and then he just turns back into that perfect angel who's just so fun to be around and so fun to play with and so fun to introduce to uh, our family and their church family and everything. All that happened was sleep. You are no different. You think you hide it. We all know. 
everyone knows. We think we deal with it better. We don't. People around us know when we aren't sleeping well. And it's not that it's it's not that we're just not at our best when we don't sleep well, it's that we're actually moving backward. I don't know how many times as a pastor someone has told me they've relapsed. And they say, I was just so tired. It's because it's hard. It's hard to fight that fight. And it's hard to fight against alcoholism when you're tired. It's hard to fight against cigarettes or chew. It's hard to fight against drugs. It's hard to fight against shooting up. It's hard to fight against cutting yourself. It's hard to fight against pornography. It's hard to fight against the thing that the enemy's putting in your path, hoping you'll have that affair and ruin your marriage. It's hard to fight against divorce. It's hard to fight against the things that are tearing us apart when we're exhausted. And it's a real fight. And America is not sleeping well. And quite honestly, it's killing us and it's killing our families and it's killing our relationships and it's killing our health. And what we're actually, what we, we think we're moving forward, but actually we're moving backward. You know, we're talking about vanity, this sense of it being pointless, but the other meaning of the word vain is appearance, it's pride. And that applies here too. You know, we, have, you, have you noticed that we tend to brag about how little sleep we get? Like how often do you ask someone how they're doing and they're like, tired? But it's like in this way of like, but I'm still here. And I'm like so strong. And I'm not getting any sleep, but I can still accomplish all this stuff because I'm, I'm Superman, I'm Superwoman, and I'm just, yeah, I don't need it. I'll sleep when I'm dead. And we, we brag about it. And the Bible comes along and says, it's, it's, that's nothing more than pride. It, it doesn't mean anything. It's nothing more than pointless. It's stupid to do that. Because God grants sleep to those he loves. That's the first section of this message today. That having this, this mindset and I know there's struggles with sleep, but having this mindset that I'm, I'm not going to value it, that I'm going to disregard it, it's prideful, it's pointless, it's vain. Now I want to talk about how to sleep more and better. Because more and more people sleep as being aided by some type of pill or some type of other form of sleep inducement. And obviously there are all sorts of articles uh, that you could find from your doctor or online uh, or all these different things on tips of how to sleep more and better. Practical things like try to go to bed and wake up around the same time every day. Um, you know, maybe reconsider the temperature at which you sleep and different things like that. Make sure you're working hard during the day so that you're actually tired at night. You know, the, the myth is that lazy people sleep all the time. Well, actually, lazy people really struggle with sleep because they've never, they don't work hard enough to be tired when they actually need to be tired. So you can find all of that. I don't want to talk about that today, though. Uh, I, I, that's not the focus of today. Because if you, if you do spiritual things, I want to talk about the spiritual side of this some more. Because if you do spiritual things without a practical side, that, that won't work. But if you just do practical things without a spiritual side, 
that's not going to work either. So I just want to give you two broad things spiritually that if you want to sleep more and better, two things you have to do spiritually. Number one is release control. So why did God invent sleep in the first place? A couple of years ago, I just started asking that question. Why did God write sleep into the human story? Why is it every 24 hours I've got to go to sleep? Why did he do that? And the answer is that it's just one more way of reinforcing the difference between us and him. I put this in your notes. Sleep reinforces the difference between me and God. And that's important. Because do you want to know what the core of all sin is? Like if you strip it all down to its core. Every action is predicated by a belief. And what's the, what's the core belief behind all sin? At the end of the day, it's believing that I am God. Believing I'm God. That I'm the kingdom, king of my kingdom. I'm the Lord of my life. I'm the boss. I know what's best for me. I know what's wrong for me. I know what's best for all the other people. I know what's wrong for all the other people. And it's setting ourselves up as God. And when we release control, we're saying, I'm not God. And it reinforces the difference between us and God. Look at these two passages with me. Psalm 121. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Isaiah 40, 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. God doesn't need sleep, and we do. Write this down. Sleep is the constant reminder that I am not God, and I am not in control. It's the broken record in our life every 24 hours. I am not God. I am not God. I am not God. Woke up today and part of the day I thought I was God, but I am not God. I'm not in control. I'm not in control of my family. I'm not in control of my friends. I'm not in control of all the big stuff. I'm not God and I'm not in control. It's amazing that it applies to everybody. The billionaire, the superstar athlete, the politician, the high-powered executive, the amazing entrepreneur, Every 24 hours, no matter who you are, we have to become like a little baby, blind, weak, helpless, and vulnerable, and just lie there. And it's humiliating if you fight it. Sleep is obnoxious if you fight it. It's humbling if you embrace it. It's wonderful if you embrace it. Instead of having as of little sleep as possible, if you embrace it, like the psalm says, as a gift from God to you, it becomes an act of surrender. I put it this way in your notes. Sleep is an act of worship. Sleep can please God. Your sleep can be an act of worship. Again, back to kids. I love when Landry is asleep. <laughs> I just watch him lie there and breathe. And, 
every once in a while, don't tell Lauren, but I'll, I'll like go into his room and pick him up out of his crib when he's sleeping. I'll just hold him. Because as sweet and as wonderful as he is, all day, every day, he fights for control. He wants control of the house. He wants control of the remote. (laughs) He wants control of the refrigerator. He wants control of the pantry. He wants control of what we do. He wants to control me. He wants to control Lauren. He wants to control the daycare. And whatever we're not doing, that's exactly what he wants to do. And even some days, it's just like cry, 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 sleep. And he's finally surrendered. He's finally given up the fight. And parents are constantly putting kids in their place. And at the end of the day, they don't have anything left. And they just surrender and sleep. And at the point they fall asleep, They've given up control, and they've surrendered. And it is the same thing with us and God. We fight for control all day, every day. We want to control the people around us. We want to control their decisions. We want to control how they respond. We want to control our life, our house, the remote, the fridge, the pantry. And at the end of the day, It's this act of worship to say, I'm not God, and I have to stop and lie down and become blind, helpless, weak, and vulnerable like a little baby. And many people say, well, I would would love that. (laughs) I would love to sleep more. I would love to sleep better, but I can't go to sleep. Like when I go to bed, my mind races. And, and that's just because we haven't trusted God with our life. Psalms 4.8 says, In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. That's a good verse for your nightstand or maybe up in your bedroom. Because peace comes from trust in God. There's this moment in the Gospels where Jesus and his disciples are in a boat. They're at sea and there's this raging storm that they're just trying to make it out alive. Meanwhile, Jesus is sleeping in the bottom of the boat, sound asleep. How? How? Because Jesus knew how to perfectly trust his father and it enabled him to sleep soundly. So how do we release control and trust God? Now, when you look up on the internet practical ways to fall asleep from all the bloggers, all the self-helpers, they all have like one thing in common. Many, many, many of them are going to say this. They're going to tell you to meditate, meditate. And they could not be more right and they could not be more wrong at the same time. Write this down and then we'll talk about it. How do you release control? You consciously meditate. Practically, what that means is that you, you, you know, most of the time when those magazine articles and those types of things are talking about it, they're talking about an Eastern religion practice, an ancient Buddhist practice where you sit there and focus on your breath. And you won't be able to focus on your breath for 20 minutes. So when other thoughts come in and pop into your mind, you release those and try to focus on your breath again. And it works. It's not only an ancient Buddhist practice, it's an ancient Christian practice as well. Because the word meditation has been completely hijacked. It has been completely hijacked. Remember, the enemy cannot create anything. So he just distorts what God creates. He perverts what God creates. 
And the Christian practice of meditation is a lot better because at the end, you've done something more than just focus on your breathing. You've focused on God. You've grown closer to God. You've released control to God. So there's different versions of this uh, throughout the history of Christianity. You could focus on the names of God. So you could look up the names of God and just focus on those. Focus of God being your father, God being your provider. Uh, you could pray a short prayer over and over again. Uh, the oldest one you could, you could find of these in, in Christian literature is Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. And you focus on God's presence. But again, you're not going to be able to. Because 10 seconds won't go by that another thought doesn't flood your mind and other thoughts will rush in. And people think that's a bad thing. They think that those thoughts are the enemy. And there's this breakdown in our perspective of Christian prayer and meditation where we say, I get so distracted. But the distractions aren't the enemy. They're the point. They're the point. You know, during 21 days of prayer, uh, some people have told me, Ryland, I just can't pray for 30 minutes. I, I, I can't focus, sit there and focus. Too many other thoughts come in. And so I'll say, well, what are you distracted by? And I say, well, I, think about, I start thinking about the meetings I have that day. And I start thinking about my family and my kids. Or I'll think of like someone I haven't thought of in years. I'll, I'll think about this project that I have to do or all these different things. And I, I'm going to say something today that's pretty radical. It's going to surprise many of you. In fact, d just don't be surprised if maybe some people in the room get up and walk out right after I say this, okay? God wants to help you with your life. like your real life. Jesus came to help. The Holy Spirit has come to help. And he wants to help you with your meetings and your family and your conflicts and your relationship with the people in the room and that project and the things you've got to get done. That's what God wants to talk about. What do you want to talk about? Like God wants to be a strong tower in your life. He wants to be a refuge. He wants, he wants to be at the center of your life, your real life. And those distractions aren't the enemy. They're not evil. They're the very thing God wants to reveal and use to grow you to be more like Christ. And it's the stuff you're deceived by that you've got to pray about. That's why Paul told us to put on truth first because we get so deceived. We sit there and other stuff pops into our mind and we think, where did that come from? And that's what we've got to release to God. I haven't thought about that person in years. Or we'll think something, we'll say, that is disgusting. Why am I thinking of that when I want to pray? And that's what you release to God in prayer, that fantasy. That's what you release to God and ask him to help with, that, that problem. That's what you release to God. And you say, God, this is yours to deal with. I release control to you. Please show me how you want to use me in this. Show me what I can do. 
and you release it to him. You do that and watch how you sleep. So that's the first thing. You've got to release control. The next thing you have to do on a spiritual level is this. Number two, remember the resurrection. Because one of the things about sleep is this connection it has to death. Uh, There's an African proverb uh, that says sleep is the friend of death. Uh, Schopenhauer said it this way, every day is a mini life. So you wake up, it's like a birth. You go to sleep, it's like death. And there's this sense, sense in which sleep is practice for death. Because the same God you have to trust as you lie down and become vulnerable and blind and helpless is the same God you're going to have to trust with your soul when you die. So this connection between sleep and death, if there's any one thing that'll keep you up at night, it's worrying about the condition of your soul, wondering if your soul is in danger. And kids used to pray, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. What a dark prayer to teach our children. But parents felt like this is where it's at, that this is the essence of peace. The essence of being able to sleep soundly is trusting God with your soul. So how do you get to that point? How do you get to the point where you trust God with your soul and not fear death? Well, the way the Christian is able to not fear death is by realizing that death is nothing more than sleep. And Jesus is the one who introduces this. Jesus is the one who introduces this terminology when he said to his disciples, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. After Christ's resurrection... The early Christians figured out that this resurrection is not a one-off event, that, that, that he's the first of many to rise, that, that all believers in Jesus will rise. That's what happens to everyone who believes. And they start using this terminology that Jesus used about believers who have died. And you'll see in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says, so-and-so has fallen asleep. Well, he's not being tactful. That's not like a a gentler way to say someone has died. He's making a statement of faith. He's making a theological point. And the reason we know that is because of the places it's not used that way. After Christ, the term fallen asleep is never used for an unbeliever, for someone who rejected God. For them, it is. They died. It's just over. And the phrase fallen asleep is never used with respect to Christ himself. So it's not going to say about Christ's death that he fell asleep. Even though he rose again, it's that Christ died. Why? Because Christ died the death of an unbeliever. The thing that makes death so awful and terrible is separation from God. And in some instances, I mean, that's the definition of death, being separated from God. That's what Jesus underwent. And he didn't just fall asleep. He was separated from God. He died condemned. He died with sin on his shoulders. Our sin. My sin. In my place. And he died the death of condemnation. 
the real final death of separation from God in our place so that now nothing can separate us. He died the death of an unbeliever so we could die the death of a believer, of someone who is in Christ. Because what is so-called death is falling asleep and waking up on the resurrection and remembering that Jesus has already died, the final death of condemnation in my place enables me to sleep soundly. And if you can remember the final death of condemnation has already been undergone by someone in your place, that'll enable you to sleep soundly. Let's pray about this. Well, Heavenly Father, you know how we struggle to trust you. And we see in scripture that we are to trust you like a child. We trust that you are at work on our behalf. And this idea of trusting you is attractive to us, but we don't know how to make the leap to this place you portray that we could be. And would you just help us by the power of your spirit to come and show us one small step that we could take this week. Give us one way to start on this. Of trusting you. Of releasing control. God, I pray I've been an encouragement to your people today. I mean, they're here today because... They know they're not God. You are God. And God, help us to believe that. Help us to, to let the resurrection of Jesus Christ invade every area of our life. And God, you are God. And you are good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.